David Siegel here, your favorite podcast host. Before we get into today's episode, I have something important to share. Check out my new book, Decide and Conquer, to really get to know my story at Meetup. You know, the hardest thing about community leadership is making tough decisions when the stakes are high. And I'll tell you, they were never higher than when Meetup was owned and sold by WeWork. In my new book, Decide and Conquer, I'll walk you through a counterintuitive framework for decision-making, and the epic journey of Meetup's surprising survival. Good leaders deliberate, great leaders decide. Order my book today by visiting decideandconquerbook.com or anywhere books are sold. I think you'll like it. Welcome. Welcome to Keep Connected. I'm David Siegel. On today's episode, we were talking to Brandon Emmerich. He created the meetup group around permaculture, environment, sustainability in Connecticut. He is a leader among college students, and I look forward to you hearing today's episode. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you. So excited to be here. So happy to have you. One of the reasons I'm so happy to have you is because like some of my favorite guests in this podcast are meetup organizers who are like doing the real work. And other favorite guests of mine are younger people, Gen Zers and millennials. And the fact that you are both is just makes me excited. You founded the Permaculture Sustainable Living Meetup Group while you're at school. You're deeply dedicated to educating the world and sustainability. So let's hear your story. I'd love to hear more about where you got this passion and where you realize this passion around the environment. So it was just the pure logic of the fact that we were destroying the planet, You know, not thinking things through. Um, the fact that uh, we only have until like 2050 or so before our farmland you know, before the soil is just going to be completely unusable, the topsoil is going to be degraded. Um, our oceans, we're going to be losing the coral reefs, so we're going to have tons of flooding. We're going to be having hurricanes. And did you know this like at seven years old? How, when did you no, find no, out no, about no. this? Stuff? <laughs> yeah, I, high I, school, I, elementary school. Well, believe it or not, I used to not believe in climate change really? because I used to be more conservative. But then, uh, after writing an essay in high school about climate change, I came across the science and then decided it was real. And I became really passionate about it when I was uh, in college. Uh, okay, so first of all, props to your high school teacher. Was it your science teacher? Well, um, the person who, t- who told me about climate change? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. The article. yeah, so I was taught it by my high school teacher, but it was actually an English class. We had to write an essay about a uh, conspiracy theory or a controversial topic. So I chose to make it on climate change. I was going to write why it's not true. Wow, and then, and, and then after doing my own research, I'm like Google Scholar. I found out that it is amazing. You know, people don't actually realize that Google Scholar exists. I, I know, I, right? It's, it's it's an amazing resource. You kind of learn yes. about so many academic papers and a tremendous yeah. amount of research. So, for those of you who've never gone to Google Scholar, go there. Okay, so you, you investigated that in high school, and then in college, kind of what happened? So in college, I just learned more about it. I, I learned about it from my uh, professors. They talked about it on campus. They talked about like zero waste. I heard a lot about solar. Um, saw some new, I saw a news article about this company, uh, which is uh, planting trees all around the world, you know, to sequester the carbon. Amazing. They're actually injecting these seeds into the ground and, uh, you know, just, it just, Eventually, you can spawn force with it. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, though, are exposed to this in high school and in college. But, but you decided that you're going to make this like your life's passion. So yeah. many people know some of the statistics that you shared. And they're terrifying statistics. They're really mm-hmm. just 
scary. What was it about you and your background, your upbringing that turned it from like a scary statistic to saying like, I need to do something about this? I just am really passionate about, you know, helping others, you know, making sure that we uh, reduce as much suffering as possible during our lifetimes and, you know, and promote well-being. I believe that solving climate change and other environmental issues is one of the best ways to go about that. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Talk to me about your passion around helping other people mm-hmm. and being unselfish. You created your group during the pandemic. Yep. And why did you create it then? Did, were you thinking of maybe I should wait until the pandemic ends so we can meet up in person? Um, how, what was the dynamics of kind of creating something, you know, when people needed it a lot, but it was also, you know, more difficult at times for others. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I decided to make it during the pandemic specifically because uh, I really didn't have any social connections at the time. So like uh, before the pandemic started, I attended UConn. I studied cognitive science there, you know, very interested in how the mind works. Um, so I ended up uh, switching to Western Governors University, now studying business management there. But back in 2020, after I quit UConn and I was uh, doing college at home, I just didn't have uh, any connections. I, I didn't have a job. I wasn't going to college in person. So I decided I would create uh, my own connections. I created a, a meetup group. How'd you hear a meetup though, even? Like who told you about <laughs> meetup? Uh, my mom told me about it. She was just recommending uh, that I join a meetup group because they have, you know, like uh, they, they have biker groups, uh, lots of groups, which could be done outside. But I just decided to make my own. Uh, You're group. like, I'm not going to join a group. I'm going to start a group. Yeah. <laughs> That takes some guts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really find a group that really fascinated me. Um, uh-huh. I, I just like learning, you know, more about the world and then and telling others about what I found. So created a sustainable living group. <laughs> Amazing. And what did you anticipate when you first created the group? Did you think, you know, there'd be like you know, a thousand people overnight? Did you think it'd just be a couple? Like, what did you expect to happen? And what ended up happening? Uh, to be honest, I don't recall what, how many people I expected would come. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I was kind of. Uh, you know, I was kind of discouraged when I saw that 10 people would sign up, but only like three or four would come, but you know, <laughs> you know, what? those three or four probably had an amazing experience. And it's they not sure always did. about like they absolutely did the massive volume, you know, yeah. it builds. Yeah. But you know, I found out you can increase retention when you message people before the meeting uh, to come and, you know, just ask if they're going to attend, maybe say something that would interest them or you can very important. Ask, yeah. And you could also ask the group, what topics they would like to talk about. So, you know, you engage people. So does your mom, has your mom come to any meetup events or not? She's not interested in it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and is it mostly people in Connecticut or do you have people around the U S people around the world? What's the, what's the deal? There's people uh, around the U S I've had people from India, from France. Really? Canada. Yeah. That must've been kind of fun when you like, you just look at it and you're like, wow, someone just from France destroying someone from, you know, yeah. India just joined. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. So tell us about one or two events you've had so far. Um, yeah. What's been a particularly success and successful again, doesn't mean that tons of people joined success means it was a great experience for everyone who was there, but tell us about one or two. What would you talk about? What made it successful? Love to hear that too. Yeah. So I'll tell you about the biggest meeting, which was also uh, an, an excellent meeting. It was about psychedelics. So that doesn't that may not sound like it's a very environmental topic, but it actually is. 
because like back when psychedelics were legal in the 1960s, um, these, these hippie environmentalists regularly consumed, you know, substances like magic mushrooms, LSD. And what happened was they felt at one with the environment around them. These divisions between self and other vanished. Um, and they felt that, uh, you know, an, an, animals matter. They felt that that that's uh, protecting the earth mattered. Uh, and, and, you know, to the average person back then and even today, these are pretty radical concepts. You know, we have this human centric idea. We only have to protect people, you know, we only have to protect humans and even just people in our society. It's kind of like racism, but applied to all of humanity, but psychedelics break this barrier down. And so they, they can turn ordinary people into environmentalists. Interestingly. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> so did you have a speaker or you all have had a discussion group, which how did, how did it work? Yeah. So what we do is we watch YouTube videos is what we do over every meeting. Uh-huh. And, uh, and after every, every video, we, we just do, we just chat about it. I've never had psychedelics in my life. I just, I just read about it. So moving away from psychedelics, are there any learnings that you've had in building your community? You know, like what's besides, of course, messaging people to get them to show up. Um, what other things have you learned that work? What things work less in terms of the, you know, the meetup events that you've had so far? Yeah. So as for building my community, I would recommend uh, making your your uh, meetings like a week or two or more prior to the event, mm-hmm. because that gets as many people as possible to sign up for the meeting. Like what I did is I made uh, like f- like four or so meetings in advance. I got a, a, a large number of people, you know, compared to before uh, who signed up to the meeting, like more than 10 for every meeting, I, I believe. Nice. Yeah. So uh, also, you know, as I said before, reaching out to them individually, uh, suggesting an in-person meeting place. You know, if you want to go, if you want to go hiking, you can talk about anything during a hike. Mm. So maybe someone doesn't want to talk about sustainability, but they but they'd be okay with it talking on a hike uh, during a hike. So that'd be a great way to build community in person while also uh, increasing interest in the subject matter. Awesome. So as a as a college student. Clearly, this meetup community has done, you know, some positive things for you, I hope. Yeah. Um, well, what has it done for you? I mean, are, are you learning? Is it, is it more learning? Is it more social? If you say, like, what's been the biggest benefit? So I think the biggest benefit is, like, maintaining uh, social connections with people. Because, as I said, I don't have uh, I don't have an in-person job. I'm a clean energy consultant. So, I, uh, so what I do is I schedule appointments with people to talk about solar why it would benefit them in their home. And that's only periodically. That's when I actually get an appointment schedule. But by having this group on meetup, which meets weekly and regularly. Wow, uh, weekly is amazing. Yeah. Then I could get a, uh, you know, I can maintain some, some of my friendships and make new connections. That's so great. So what advice would you give to other college students? And it's different. You know, there's college students that are, that are at um, universities and colleges that are in person, going to class in person. There's many that, that are like yourself who are, are not going to, you know, classes in person per se, and not at an, an in-person university. Um, what advice would you give to other colleges? Would you tell them to just join a, a group, tell them to start a group? What, what would you tell them? So I tell them that there's really no downsides to starting a group or creating meetings because um, all they, they can gain is uh, some, some new knowledge, you know, from whatever they present, they can gain some new friendships. Um, this is not a job. You're not paid to, to come regularly to a meeting you can you can come whenever you want to you can you can set up whenever um it's it's totally self-paced so there's really no reason why someone wouldn't 
want to create a group if they were interested in something. And by the way, as a as a um, resume builder, yeah, like I think it looks incredible on your resume. And I hope, by the way, Brian, you have it on your resume that you're building a group. It's close to 250 people from nothing, <laughs> and it's going to keep growing. Like that's going to be very impressive to to any potential employer. Yep. Is it on your resume? I believe so. Yep. Good. Make sure it is. And and yes. when you do get go, go for those next jobs, make sure that you you spend time talking about it because I think I would love to hire someone, not just because I'm the meetup guy, but but anyone that exhibits that kind of leadership is is great. You know, one of the things that I, I read about your group and I saw in your group in terms of the photos is that you have some people that are college students, right? And some people that are more middle-aged and you have someone who's in their people in their seventies, even like, you know, one of the big challenges in this world is kind of ageism and it goes both ways. People in their 20s, you know, thinking or speaking disparagingly about people that are middle-aged or seniors and, and vice versa. Seniors saying, oh, those Gen Zers, they don't know anything. Um, how is the dynamic when you have a 50-plus age gap between sometimes attendees? Does it matter? Does it not matter? Is it, like, really nice to have that? I think it doesn't matter at all. Everyone just, you know, engages with one another, uh, regardless of their age, I don't see any evidence of age discrimination in my group. And is it, does it bring something to the group? Not just like, is it not a negative to have that kind of experience or? Yeah. Um, the elders bring their, uh, their experience to the group and their knowledge. Like, um, like the person who's come actually to almost every meeting of my group is my neighbor. He's, uh, he's in his seventies, the landscaper he's retired. So naturally, just the, anything with the environment would interest him because, you know, he's worked outside for his whole life. He knows a lot about plants. He actually knows a lot about everything. Basically <laughs> he's a huge knowledge base. That's amazing. So people yeah. must love him. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately he doesn't have a mic. So basically he just, uh, uh, chats jokes throughout the meeting, which is still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, Okay, we will pay for his mic. Like, buy a mic. We'll expense it. I'll I'll send you my Zell. I'll donate the mic for the guy. So let me know, and and uh, I'm happy to donate because if this oh, wow. guy sounds as great as he is, just just tell me what it is, and I'll I'll send some money over to 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 you to get get this person a mic. Uh, I think I'll uh, do that. <laughs> he deserves it. Seriously, let's do that. Okay, so. Let's talk about your group being online, but you've also, I believe, had an in-person or more more than you've had some in-person events as well. Actually, never, but I intend okay. to once this uh, pandemic is practically over. Okay, so you're going to have a first in-person event. What do you think you're going to do? Is it going to be a hike or something something else? Yeah, I would say it'd be a hike. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah, or we could visit uh, an eco village, which is something I'm hoping to talk to you about. Uh, yeah, tell us what an eco village is. Yeah, so uh, an eco village is essentially a sustainable co-housing community. So first, first, I'll unpack what co-housing is. So that involves either uh, living together under the same roof with multiple people, or uh, it could involve regularly interacting with uh, your neighbors. So like sharing meals during recreational activities, uh, supporting each other's well-being in general. Sounds like a old, uh, you know, a kibbutz kind of uh, kind of world a little bit. Okay, keep going. Huh. Yeah. So um, what makes co-housing, you know, uh, really sustainable is that you're using less land, you're using less mm. energy, mm. Uh, fewer building materials per person. Mm. Ideally, you would want to have uh, uh, smaller square footage per person. The problem is uh, in our society, we have the opposite. We have uh, single family homes, which are like uh, thousands of square feet 
when you could very well live in a, in a tiny house of only 400 square feet, or you could have uh, a regular home and, and just have multiple people in there. And it also seems like just what a great social environment. I mean, yes, yeah, the environmental impact yeah. is clear mm-hmm. and, and, and at scale can have a m- mm-hmm. meaningful impact in, in, uh, in sustainability and, and mm-hmm. other, other related um, uh, important issues. But socially, it could be an amazing experience for people to live in that kind of an arrangement. Yes, absolutely. It would improve everyone's mental health. They would be able to make, um, you know, perhaps better decision making as a household because you'd have more perspectives brought to the table. Um, they could divide up the bills as well, so it could save you money. So, Brandon, when are you going to be moving into a co-housing? <laughs> well, not now because there's there's COVID. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Yeah. Um, but but let, when the pandemic ends, do you see yourself living in a? Yeah, maybe in a year or so. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So um, I had also heard that you ran at, you know, whatever age you are in your 20s, early 20s for your town council. Yep. That's pretty remarkable. And even though you didn't win is my understanding, like the fact that you endeavored to run, is there a minimum age to be in the town no. council? There's not. So a 12-year-old can well, run. 18 actually. <laughs> okay, 18. Okay, so 18 is a minimum age. Good to know. Um, so my, my middle son who just turned 18 can, can decide to run if he wants to good to know. So what was that experience like and and how did you decide you wanted to do it? So I think it was, I think people had the same reaction that you did, that it was remarkable that a young person was running. Um, I think some people held the sentiments that I wasn't knowledgeable enough to run. You're pretty Uh, knowledgeable. So once they start talking to you, they should hopefully realize that. I know. People just judge before they even engage. (laughs) Yeah. So what I did was I just made some posts on my uh, town uh, page. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we we could talk about anything on there. I suggested that we have uh, solar on the school buildings and, uh, you know, the other public buildings. Also that we implement energy efficiency measures, uh, you know, like energy efficient appliances, uh, triple planed windows, better building insulation. Mm-hmm. You could save tons of money that way. Everyone talks about solar, but there's, you know, energy efficiency goes hand in hand. And were people yeah. listening to you? Did they take you seriously? Did, were there like debates or town halls? What was the format? So although I mainly engaged with people online, I found that the reception was best when I was talking in person. When I told them about uh, my sustainability ideas, they all seemed to agree with it. Mm-hmm. But online people were either just didn't care. They thought that it would, it would just waste the town's money or they just didn't believe in climate change whatsoever. Did you have an in-person gathering where, where you shared your ideas to, to people or you never were able to do that? So there was a fall festival. Um, that's just an event we have every year. We have vendors come out, um, you know, from the town and, and surrounding areas. And so what I did is I just, I kind of acted like a vendor. I just, I just walked around. We had our own table you know, people who run for town council and I told them what I stood for. And I got a lot of people who said they would vote for me when I was walking around, but um, that's basically the only town. That must've been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was the only in-person gathering I went to besides that I had to do some door knocking though. Good for you. You know, if one of COVID, you would be a town council member now. That's what I, I'm still holding to that. Yeah. <laughs> it was harder to have outside, yeah, of, outside in-person events, but you know, Next time, are you going to run again? 
Um, I'm probably going to be moving soon, so probably not. <laughs> okay. Well, w- yeah. after you move, when you settle down, you're in your co-housing arrangement, um, then um, then hopefully- I might, I might you know. run there. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. That's great. Well, clearly you're someone who's been a leader for really a lot of your life, but I have to ask you, we have a rapid fire set of questions right now. So here yeah. we go. When was the first time that you saw yourself as a leader? How young were you? I must have been like six years old. I wanted to run for president. <laughs> okay. What happened? Yeah. So this actually was a, a leadership gesture. So uh, there was a book series called Junie B. Jones. You may have heard of it. So in that book, uh, there was an event called Job Day. Uh, you know, the, the main character in Junie B. Jo- Jones is, 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 uh, is Junie. And uh, so she had this event where um, everyone in her class would just dress up as, uh, as as if they were in the career that they wanted to be in the future. Uh-huh. So they didn't have such a job day at my school. So what I, I just suggested that we make one to my wow. first grade teacher. And <laughs> he agreed. She, uh, and everyone in the class just came in, uh, dressed up like, uh, I don't know, nurses, doctors. I dressed up in a, in a, in a black suit as, as if I were president. And it was a fun time. <laughs> that is so great okay yeah. so we know your future that's it so speaking <laughs> about future or past i guess yep. you could access a time machine brandon go any time in the history of the world or future when are you choosing where are you going what's the plan maybe i go to the past uh and, and, and tell them what what happened to our world after accepting uh fossil fuels as our mm. main source of energy bucket list what do you want to do yeah so uh, you, this kind of goes back to before, why do I choose climate change? So my philosophy is uh, negative utilitarianism. Have you heard of that? I know what utilitarianism is, yeah. which um, you could explain. Why don't you explain what utilitarianism is? And then you can explain what negative utilitarianism. I think okay. it's Mil- Mills is the famous utilitarian philosopher. And John Stuart Mill, yeah. Oh. And Jeremy Bentham was even earlier than him. Okay. Yeah. So utilitarianism is the idea that as society – and, and, as an, and as individuals, we should maximize a particular uh, moral utility. So uh, a very commonly chosen utility would be happiness. So a positive utilitarian would say that um, the, the, the chief primary, uh, the, the chief moral aim is to maximize the most amount of happiness for the most amount of people. Whereas uh, a negative utilitarian believes that we ought to focus on minimizing as much suffering for the greatest uh. amount of people. Yeah, uh, and who's who's the philosopher that's kind of led negative utilitarianism? There, there have been multiple philosophers. Okay. David Pierce is one of them. David Pierce is a major one. No, but it makes sense. I mean, Peter Singer as well. The, the negative impact of suffering could be argued that it's is greater than the quote unquote positive impact of of happiness, and re- the removing of suffering comes before being able to even be happy for so many people based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, etc. Yeah. Um, very very interesting. Okay, last question for you, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And I think I know the answer, but you know what? You're a surprising kind of guy, so maybe we'll get surprised. <laughs> Big picture, you're going to live many, 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 many more years. What do you want to be known as, known by, having accomplished in your life? Yeah. So kind of similar to the last question, <laughs> but um, my my answer kind of leads up to that. I want to eliminate suffering in the greatest means possible. So I'd like to get rid of uh, chronic pain conditions I'd like to uh, improve well-being. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in biotech devices. <clears throat> so like um, one example would be an infrared sauna. 
So uh, that uses infrared light uh, to, to, to heat you to a very high temperature. Yeah, a lot of research around around the, the positive impact on that. A decent amount, yeah. Uh, there, could, there could be a lot more like for specific conditions, but it looks promising so far. Um, so what I have at home here is a uh, portable infrared sauna, and oh. it goes for only a couple hundred dollars. And uh, you just you just get inside, and it warms up to 150 degrees in you know in just like five minutes or so. And it's extremely comfortable. It's, it's great for the circulatory system, uh, great at lowering inflammation, and uh, it really requires no effort, unlike exercise. You know, it's really hard to motivate people to exercise, but anyone can sit in a sauna for a yeah, while. Yeah, listen, listen to a Keep Connected podcast. Yeah. Or be part of an online meetup group while you're sitting in the sauna sweating. Absolutely. Okay, Brennan, you are really exceptional. Your knowledge, your experience, it's really quite remarkable. And I'm so glad that we were introduced and and have an opportunity to meet. And you know, I think what you're focused on in terms of permaculture, sustainability in the environment, and, and really removing suffering and making mm-hmm. the world a better place, it's something that that hundreds of thousands of our listeners um, can all learn from and, and hopefully have. So thank you for being so inspirational to me. I really oh, appreciate you're it. you're welcome. And have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. Thanks for listening to today's podcast with Brandon Emmerich. What an amazing individual. This is a college student who did not believe in climate change, and then he changed his philosophy on climate change, and he is now one of the biggest supporters in helping people to understand and shed light on the massive environmental problem that we all have today. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, then please subscribe, leave a review, check out my new book, Decide and Conquer. And remember, let's keep connected because life is better together. We hope you'll stay connected by attending Meetup Live, a regular online event series hosted by us, the Meetup team. Meetup Live features organizers who have hosted successful events, product updates from the Meetup team, and you'll hear from experts on how to build community and meet your goals. We've also launched a powerful series called Dismantling Social Injustice to discuss the pressing issues of our time, including race, equality, democracy, and access. Staying connected has never been more important. Join the Meetup community online at meetup.com.